From the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, this is Politically Georgia. I'm Bill Nygut. Although she was expected to testify again today, Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis will not be back on the stand in the hearing that could determine whether she'll be disqualified from the Trump election conspiracy case. But in a combative appearance yesterday, Willis accused defense lawyers of lying and trying to shift the focus of the case. I'm not on trial, no matter how hard you try to put me on trial. I'm Patricia Murphy. We'll be joined by former Obama ethics czar Norm Eisen. We'll get his take on the extraordinary exchanges between Willis and the defense lawyers trying to remove her from the case. I'm Tia Mitchell. Former President Trump was in a different courtroom in New York City on Thursday. His trial on charges he hid hush money payments made to porn star Stormy Daniels will start despite his objections. That date is March 25th. We invite you to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode of Politically Georgia. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Tia and Patricia, yesterday was one of the most explosive days, Patricia, I can ever recall watching unfold in any courtroom ever. It was one of those moments, it almost feels like the OJ trial or one of those TV moments that you will not forget when Fonnie Willis walked into the room and said, I'm ready to go. Um, And that was just after a series of surprises and sort of topsy-turvy events And then it was hard to even actually believe that that hearing was happening at all. And so we can unpack all of that. But it really was an extraordinary day in this really unprecedented trial. Uh, Tia, we expected that Fonnie Willis would be on the stand again this morning. In fact, uh, we learned uh, about an hour before going on the air that she will not testify again. Yeah. And I mean, I watched it yesterday. It was... Number one, it was just good TV, to be honest. Um, And it was also interesting to see how Willis was received by different audiences, you know, um, and, and the different reactions to her testimony. So I look forward to digging into it. I don't think we have to uh, do too much backgrounding to get to the conversation because this was probably one of the most viewed testimonies um, in in, uh, recent history. But um, we can point out that after holding her silence for weeks in the face of the defense attorney allegations that her romantic relationship with Nathan Wade should disqualify her from the case, Fannie Willis literally, literally raced to Judge Scott McAfee's courtroom and gave very combative testimony of pushing back on the allegations uh, that were being made by defense attorneys. So to talk about all this, we are really glad to be joined today by Norm Eisen, who has become one of the foremost analysts in the country on the trials now being faced by Donald Trump. And there are more we can talk about as well. Um, Mr. Eisen is a senior fellow at Brookings, He served as the top ethics advisor to President Obama, 
and more recently was the special counsel to the Senate in its impeachment of former President Trump. Norm Eisen, thank you so much for being with us on Politically Georgia today. Thank you, Bill. Good morning, Patricia and Tia. Good morning. Good morning. So why don't we start with a very basic question. What were your observations as you watched Fonnie Willis testify yesterday, Norm? Bill, uh, she demolished the disqualification case that the defendants were trying to put forward, and she exposed the motivation of the defendants to distract from the overwhelming evidence that Donald Trump and his alleged co-conspirators um, interfered with the 2020 election in Georgia. I mean, we all heard the tape. I just want to find 11,780 votes. She brought us back around to that while at the same time knocking down uh, the uh, claims that um, anything triggering disqualification happened here. She wasn't perfect. Uh, she was too angry at the beginning. Um, you know, she crossed lines a couple times, but she's only human. That's what this whole controversy is about. And I thought that um, she was powerful, particularly powerful on the core of the issue, which is were there any inappropriate financial transfers? She, you know, really convincingly established, hey, that's what the judge cares about. Hey, she said, as is normal, we roughly split those expenses. It was credible. It was truthful. If there had been a lie detector hookup, she would have gotten a 100 on those answers. Um, and you know, I had a big debate. I was on air on CNN and most of the other people on that panel with me at that moment said it was, oh, she's lawyer should never testify. She's going on. She's kicking over the traces. She's angering the judge. No, as Tia says, it was great TV, but it was also a good day for, I think, for justice. No wonder they didn't call her back. She did everything she had to. So, Norm, I, I agree with you on the piece about uh, the disqualification. I don't think that the defense attorneys in this case who were trying to sort of prosecute the case against Fonnie Willis and Nathan Wade um, really literally brought the receipts. I didn't feel like they made their case. But can you speak a little bit more to um, another part that was alleged that they had not been honest, that Fonnie Willis and Nathan Wade had not been honest because there was to have been some testimony that seemed to be missing. So could you bring our audience up to speed on that piece of it? And is there anything else we could learn today that might change things in your opinion? Um, Patricia, this was a um, another uh, part of the testimony. We started with a so far failed effort. It was brought up again this morning, but a so far failed effort to get a second corroborating witness in on the question of when the Willis Wade relationship began. Because Wade has attested that the relationship began after he was hired. And you had Robin Yurdy, who came on, the disgruntled former Willis friend and employee who had to be fired from or let go or departed. Uh, the circumstances are murky. 
but there were performance issues, broken friendship with the DA. She was let go from the DA's uh, office, departed. I want to be accurate. We, you know, say she departed the DA's office. She disputed the exact terms of the departure. And the, um, the, the witness who was um, on the stand, but his testimony was blocked, is Mr. Wade's uh, former lawyer. And there was a very broad assertion of attorney-client privilege. They wanted to ask the former lawyer, what did you know about the Willis-Wade relationship? And um, uh, that was uh, asserted to have been part of the attorney-client uh, relationship when information is acquired in the course of an attorney-client relationship, it is privileged. So, um, so um, um, that's the, and we'll see if, you know, not everything a lawyer learns in the relationship uh, is necessary, necessarily privileged. So we'll see if that evidence gets in. But it doesn't matter, Patricia, because even if they started the relationship beforehand, that's not a grounds for disqualification. And when you have this sort of he said, she said, it's not enough to make out, you know, who's telling the truth, who's lying. It was there perjury. The, the evidence, even if it, this comes in, it's not going to be strong enough on that point, because even if even if uh, Willis hired him when they were dating, it's not a grounds for disqualification under Georgia law. Tia, the money could be, but that's dead. Tia, jump in. Yeah, I actually, Norm, that's where I wanted to bring in that for not the testimony that seemed the most dam damaging to Willis, according to like the court of public opinion, if you will, was that former friend who kind of disputed the timeline, the, um, the questions about whether they were already dating when Nathan Wade was hired on to the case. And um, if there were, if there was testimony where people said, no, this isn't going well for Willis, it was that those, those portions. But it sounds like you're saying, even if those portions weren't the best for Willis, you don't think they're ultimately disqualifying. Uh, I do not think um, that they are, um, going to be disqualifying Tia for the following reason. And under Georgia law, in order to disqualify a prosecutor, you need to either show a conflict of interest or forensic misconduct, fabricating evidence. Typically, when you have a conflict of interest, it's because the uh, prosecutor has... Uh, engaged in some conduct that goes to the integrity of the case. So, for example, if this hearing were not about um, Wade dating Willis, if it were about Wade dating uh, one of the members of the special grand jury or Wade dating one of the witnesses in the case, a key witness, um, that, that, that would you think, oh, maybe the grand jury distorted their testimony because of the relationship. Maybe the key witness is changing their testimony because of the relationship. But just hiring your paramour, even if it's proven 
It's dissociated from any form of wrongdoing. It doesn't change the tape. We all heard the tape. Just find 11,780 votes. That was after the election had been counted, recounted, signed, certified, sealed, delivered, and when there were no such votes. I mean, that's a smoking gun. Willis redirected to, I'm not on trial here. Uh, Your clients are on trial here for uh, interfering with the 2020 election. That was one of the most powerful moments. I mean, that is evidence that it has already gotten four guilty pleas from very hardened Trump former acolytes. So even if the, however the proof comes out on this point, it's not enough to alter disqualification. Now, if the evidence established that secret bonuses were being channeled to um, the DA by Wade through prolonging the case, that would be something else. But the evidence didn't prove that. So um, I don't think we're gonna, I, I just don't, I don't think there's any there there, even if this attorney-client privilege on the relationship is pierced. Let's listen to one of those key moments that you just alluded to, Norm, in which Fonnie Willis tried to make the point of who actually is on uh, uh, uh defendant in this case you're confused you think i'm on trial these people are on trial for trying to steal an election in 2020 i'm not on trial no matter how hard you try to put me on trial um fonnie willis defending herself um norm let me ask you about the question that ashley merchant uh, clearly was uh, trying to focus on over and over again And frankly, it struck me that Fonnie Willis uh, did a fairly good job of obfuscating in not answering the question. And it has to do with something we've already discussed, which is the timing of when this relationship began. Now, in, in in terms of what you've said about that having nothing to do with the facts of the case that she's brought, if if Fonnie Willis and Nathan Wade have lied in court documents and affidavits about when their relationship began, does that have any bearing on whether or not uh, Judge McAfee may want to disqualify them from the case? And Bill, if the judge finds that they lied, they're gone from the case. And the case is probably not going to go to trial in 2024. But there's not enough evidence here to find that. At most, you're going to have very strong testimony, incredible testimony from Willis denying it. You've got corroborating testimony from Wade denying it. You have a very problematic witness in Robin Yurdy, who uh, came to a, uh, whatever the terms were, who uh, came to a... uh, uh, unhappy ending while working for the DA who um, uh, has um, a um, complex history there that could give her bias, who the most she said she saw was hugging and kissing. But, you know, I have um, hugged and kissed people uh, that I'm not in a relationship with, Um and uh, 
not in a romantic I, relationship with. I, I so th- I don't think there's enough there there. Very quickly. To I, find I want, that they lied. Just real quick follow-up. I, I, I think you make a good point. Yuri, when she was asked what she saw, seemed to have to take a moment <laughs> to decide yeah. what she evaluated as being a romantic encounter between the two of them. Terrence Bradley, on the other hand, might have been a more credible witness. I think I understood Judge McAfee to say at one point yesterday that Bradley's saying that attorney-client privilege, and the bar had told him he could not testify. I think I heard Judge McAfee say, you may be interpreting that in an overly broad way, and the state Supreme Court could step in, Patricia, to say to Terrence Bradley, you can testify. That might be a whole different matter. Well, that would be a very different matter. But to Norm's point, it seems that the most important information potentially the most damaging information if there is any would be information that he came across as wade's divorce attorney yes rather than as his uh law partner i don't know what would happen in the law offices that would give you a hint about what was going on with those two but once you became (laughs) the divorce attorney you would probably learn a whole lot more so it does seem like that would um some of that would have to be privileged you would you would have to think even if some of it was not um nor my question for you to to step back a little bit from the facts of the case to sort of the general direction of this now although I don't think that the um, defense attorneys made their case I do think that Fonnie Willis's presentation at times was problematic Um, she was declared a hostile witness at one point by Judge McAfee who was not himself prone to call people strange names you know he it was a it was so combative and so different from Nathan Wade's testimony that was quite calm and collected discussing much of the same material. And I understand why Wade, why uh, Funny Willis was upset, but she was calling Ashley Merchant a liar and saying, these are lies, these are lies. She had to be sort of calmed down multiple times. Uh, the judge was pleading for decorum. Um, does this hurt Fonnie Willis's role in this case, even if she's not removed from the case does this do any ex- in- internal damage to this situation with this judge and this uh, ecosystem that they're going to be working within if if they're left on the case? Some, some, Patricia. Uh, but Willis um, fixed a lot. No wonder she 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 ran down to get on the stand. She had an instinct that she could make it right. And she repaired a lot of the damage. Um, Judge McAfee is one of the best young trial judges I have ever seen, considering that he hasn't been on the bench for very long. He has been superb. If you compare him to another young judge who I think may be making some of the worst decisions in the country and who should be removed, Judge Cannon, a last-minute Trump appointee in the Mar-a-Lago documents case. She was rammed through by the administration, and boy, is she paying them back with her biased, outrageous decisions in that case. Judge McAfee is so good, and he's not going to let that detract from the real business of the court and and he was so gentlemanly when she really got overheated yesterday 
the DA ice. Let's take a five minute break mm-hmm. just to let everybody calm down. He's superb. So I think she repaired a lot of the public facing damage. I do think uh, the judge will be able to cabin things. We, but this was a stupid relationship and they still need to do some gesture to recognize, hey, there are consequences. We made a mistake. There needs to be accountability in the court of public opinion. That's why I continue to think had not bad in the AJC. Wade isn't legally required to step down, but he should voluntarily do it. Say, hey, we had the hearing, no wrongdoing, just to close the books, I'm stepping away. I wish he would. Tia, we've, I know, oh, I'm sorry, finish your thought, uh, Norm. No, it would really, it, it, it would really help us move past this and, you know, close the wounds that Patricia is alluding to. Tia, I know we're running out of time uh, with uh, Nathan Eisen, but why don't we give you a chance to ask another question? Well, that, again, he keeps going exactly where I wanted to go, which is the mm-hmm. difference between the court of public opinion versus kind of the legal standards inside the courtroom. Yeah. And um, I know, Norm, you've talked about your op-ed. Um, is You think Nathan Wade should step down. Is If the judge says that, you know, I think Fonnie Willis's conduct is improper, doesn't mm. that kill, if the worst case scenario that he thinks, you know, Fonnie Willis should be removed, wouldn't that kill the case? Yeah. If he disqualifies the DA, that eliminates her office under Georgia law. Mm -hmm. The case would go to Pete Scandalakis and the Georgia Prosecuting Attorney's Council. They've been sitting on the Burt Jones case over there for over a year. (laughs) And that's just one defendant. I do not think they will find another office that can prosecute this case. Certainly not in 2024. Maybe in a future year, maybe the pressure would be enough that unlike Jones, do something about it. Uh, Normalize. If there's a go ahead, go ahead. If there's a if there's a way to disqualify Wade without disqualifying the DA, that would be optimal because you don't want to lose the whole office and lose the possibility of trying this case this year. I really That's ap- it, Bill. I really apologize for stepping on you. I have one real quick question, because we now know that Donald Trump's first criminal trial will take place in New York starting on March 25th. Many people think that's the least important of the cases, the hush money uh, to Stormy Daniels case. But very quickly, your take on that as being the starting point for what could be an ongoing number of trials over the next year. That case is about um, felony corruption of an election and its cover-up. If that sounds familiar, it's because the 2016 version, using hush money to avoid another scandal in a very close election, was a gateway drug, a precursor for the 2020 election interference. (laughs) So this case has been widely misunderstood I wrote in the New York Times when it was filed that it was a strong case. Bragg has won legal motion after motion in federal and state court. All the naysayers, every single legal catastrophe they predicted for the case has failed. Bragg is on 
a big winning streak. He won five motions yesterday. Um, just because the Bragg case is the first and Trump's conduct was worse in the 2020 election interference, it doesn't mean that the 2016 election interference is not important. I think it's a good place to start because it was the first in the series. Norm Eisen, it was really uh, wonderful to have you join us to give us your take on all that unfolded in the Fulton County uh, uh, Court. We'll be watching for you on CNN and wherever you appear, whether it's in print or on television, to talk about that case, the Fulton County case, and all the others moving forward. But in the meantime, thank you so much, Norm, for being with us for Politically Georgia today. Thanks, friends. Thank you. Thanks. When we we got to take a break. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Welcome back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. We've got a great offer for Politically Georgia listeners. For a limited time, subscribe and you'll get digital access to the AJC for $1.99 per week for life. As long as you keep your subscription, you'll get our sports and politics coverage, breaking news, in-depth investigations, food and dining, and more from AJC.com every day for life. You'll also unlock access to our apps, exclusive films, and other events and newsletters. Subscribe now by going to AJC.com start. That's AJC.com start. A great deal for a greater Atlanta. This, by the way, is for new subscribers only. All right. Um, let's start with the players in this case who all have political stakes in this. Um, Patricia... Um, obviously, Donald Trump is the biggest one, but Fonnie Willis is up for re-election in November. Yesterday on the show, um, we asked Jen Jordan how she felt about Fonnie Willis, and this was even before Fonnie Willis testified, what might happen to Fonnie Willis in a re-election campaign, <clears throat> and she was sort of, she didn't quite want to answer the question whether, whether Fonnie, she thinks a Republican will run against her maybe a Democrat too. Well, I think we're going to have to see kind of where the dust settles on this hearing, because I think in the moments that it was unfolding and Fonnie Willis was so combative, it felt like it could kind of spin out of control. Mm -hmm. um, it does, however, seem like as uh, they've decided not to put her back on the stand and as the um, defense attorneys don't seem like they've really made their case, it, it kind of seems like there, she's going to be able to stay on this case. That is complete conjecture, by the way. I'm, I'm just throwing that out there. So if she can stay, manage to stay on this case and keep it moving forward, that's really important. It would be a lot harder for a Democrat to run against her in that case because uh, it, it will look less like as serious a lapse as it may have at first appeared. Um, however, I think it really depends on where you're sitting, who's watching. I think that her testimony struck different groups of people really differently, particularly 
Um, as Tia mentioned earlier before, I think especially uh, I was noticing on social media, black women in particular, who were very instrumental in electing Fonnie Willis, um, were equally incensed that she was being asked these questions in the first place. So I don't know exactly what's going to happen with her politically, but it is a very um, open question because filing for these races, including for district attorney, opens in March. And so anybody who wants to run against Fonnie Willis in that that race in 2024 uh, will be able to make their plans known very, very soon. And, you know, it was one of she had been in office barely a couple of days when that phone call was placed to Brad Raffensperger uh, when she was the newly elected D.A. in Fulton County, looked up Brad Raffensperger's address. He lives in Johns Creek in Fulton County. And that's when she decided to start investigating it. Yeah, Tia, we really want to get your uh, thoughts on this here right now, because, you know, Fannie Willis, as we said, she came rushing into the courtroom. Her own prosecutorial team was not quite aware that she was going to be coming in like that. Um, She said she got there. She came because she assumed she was going to be the next witness called to testify after Nathan Wade. She almost ran to the witness stand. Um, And there are people who thought that her behavior was exactly what an attorney, a, a, a criminal attorney with a lot of experience would advise a client not, not to, do to do on the witness stand. Yeah, I agree. I mean, to me, what I feel like we saw yesterday was Fonnie Willis almost saying, like, we all have the professional selves, and then we all have our real selves. And I think what we saw yesterday is Fonnie Willis um, saying, I... The, her real self, who, to me, I don't know her personally, but I, what I felt like we saw yesterday was like, Fonny, not Fonnie Willis, the district attorney, but Fonnie Willis, the girl who doesn't take any mess and stands up for herself when she feels like she's being wronged, and the Fonnie Willis who sees red and maybe doesn't always think the most logically when she's seeing red, I mean, I feel like we didn't see someone making political calculations or professional calculations. I think we saw someone who came in hot because that is what she felt at the time. And, and, and maybe history will prove that to be, you know, we'll say maybe she should have taken a beat and, and, and composed herself and decided to approach this a little bit more pragmatically given her position. But I just, to me, what I saw was someone who wasn't thinking politically at all. She was like, I feel like I'm being wronged and I'm going down there and I'm going to tell them exactly what I think. And I'm going to tell them exactly where I think they had me messed up. And she, I remember when I was watching the, um, the feed on TV as she was waiting for the judge to call her and she arrived looking ticked off. And I'm using the word ticked off because we're on live radio. I, you know, we all know what she looked like. Uh, and 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 I just think that's that's where she came from. Like she was ticked off. She was seeing red and she was ready to go. Patricia, you have interviewed Fonnie Willis. You have gotten a sense of her on a number of occasions. How do you uh, read what Tia was just saying? I, well, I agree that this was a very public look into obviously the private life of Fonnie Willis, but also the private reaction she has 
obviously been having to this over the last several weeks. I do think there's also a really important different kind of political trouble that she could be getting herself into here, even if nobody runs against her as a Democrat. A year ago today, two years ago today, Fannie Willis was on excellent terms with Republicans in the state House and Senate. She had found common cause with them in her efforts to beef up her team, to have more money go to the GBI crime lab, to do more murder and violent crime prosecutions. And they were, many of them were her partners in that. And the damage that this whole episode has done to those relationships is very real. And now the state Senate has launched a special investigative committee with subpoena power, not just to say how long was this relationship going on, but she said yesterday part of her salary is paid by the state of Georgia, and they have direct control over that. Um, they uh, are also looking into the Fulton County Jail and specifically her role and her pace of prosecutions, getting people indicted. Did she take her eye off the ball with those indictments and leave people in there uncharged too long because she was focused on this? At the, also, there have been many complaints filed by state senators against her with the Prosecuting Attorneys Oversight Commission, which they created last year. And they will look into all sorts of things, not just um, her specific conduct in the Trump case. And so this could be very dangerous for her in other ways, even if it doesn't look like these defense attorneys made their case. And they were pretty sloppy yesterday. I felt like they didn't really feel like they really were ready to, to nail this case if they wanted to. And what do you think about whether she has enhanced or damaged her run for re-election? Or is it too soon to get any sense of that at all? It feels too soon, but it's important to remember. I mean, she was elected overwhelmingly. Um, Donald Trump is not a popular person in Fulton County. Even if she had this lapse, uh, which she obviously did because she uh, had a romantic relationship with Nathan Wade, uh, she wouldn't be the first person in Georgia who did that. He was an elected <laughs> official and went on to get elected. We're the first person in America, I have to say. Uh, Tia, here's another uh, actor in this drama unfolding uh, in Fulton County Court, uh, Scott McAfee. Um, he, too, is on the ballot in uh, November. And I think Norm Eisen really hit it on the head. It, you know, when, when McAfee, and you know this, Tia, when McAfee was first assigned to this case, there were a lot of questions raised about whether, whether this new judge really had no experience of, of any uh, uh, depth on the bench would be able to handle the complexities, the drama, the emotions. And I think Norm Eisen was absolutely right. He was superb yesterday. He was calm, collected. He kept the courtroom under control to the best of his ability, even with all the drama going on. Um, it, it seems to me this is nothing but a good sign for him as he stands for re-election. We also don't pay a whole lot of attention to judge elections. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, he's received nothing but high marks across the board. And I think, you know, he was patient with Bonnie Willis yesterday. You know, he worked to keep things on track. He, when things got a little too heated, he immediately was like, all right, we're going to take a break. Um, But he did not match her energy, which I think was smart on his account. Um, But he also did not allow, he created some boundaries when he felt like she was going too far, which I also think was smart on his account. So he does, 
come across as very just just very statesmanlike. I think, quite frankly, if anything, people might be whispering in his ear, like, "You got you got other things you want to do besides oh. judge, you Attorney General <laughs> McAfee." How does that sound? I'm oh, serious. interesting. Well, I mean, I'm not saying that's happening, but. You know, maybe it is down the road as um, Republicans look to build out their bench. I mean, they've they've got someone they probably see as a potential star in state politics. Well, he also, uh, you know, he was appointed by Governor Kemp to fill a vacancy on the Fulton County Superior Court. Um, uh, So, you know, another thing to look at if he really is a shining uh, new star is if there's a vacancy on the state Supreme Court, whether Scott McAfee is a guy who could fill that role. By the way, we should point out, Patricia, that in in dealing with Fonnie Willis yesterday, there are a couple things to keep in mind with him. Uh, number one, she once supervised him. He once, uh, he once essentially worked for her. But, but probably more important is he knows full well that she will have cases that she will be bringing back into his courtroom. And so, again, he did such a wonderful, masterful job of being cautious, saying at a couple of points, I don't want to have to reprimand you in any way, whatever, I'm, I'm not using his language, but I do have to caution you about the way you're responding to some of these questions, Ms. Willis. Yeah, and especially with all of this being broadcast live, it was incredible the amount of pressure that was happening down there. But he was just very professional with a little extra dose of humanity, honestly. He Mm -hmm. just was recognizing that this was an incredibly difficult time for her specifically. You could tell she's been deeply offended to have been accused. <clears throat> this I'm sorry, this room makes me have a frog in my throat. Um, to have been accused of literally having a one-night stand with Nathan Wade, you could tell that has been bothering her since it was uh, put into court documents uh, without any kind of proof. And so she was having a very difficult time with this, and he let her s- say what she wanted to say, but then I do think also kept it on track in a way that kept it feeling very prof- a professional operation and not that it spun out of control. Okay, Patricia, let's go to the big fish in all of this. Did anything that happened in that courtroom yesterday, to the best of your uh, sense of it, uh, have any impact on this case for Donald Trump? And the co-defendants, some of whom were in the courtroom, in fact, at one point, Judge McAfee reprimanded David Schaefer, who is one of the defendants, former uh, chair of the state Republican Party, for laughing out loud. So to what extent did yesterday, do you think, have any impact, assuming this case is going to go forward? Well, you know, in in a in a way, I think it has, in a couple ways, I think it's helped Donald Trump. It, first of all, it has delayed this process by about eight weeks. And with a looming presidential election out there, that's a very important delay. And it also just put on full display an acknowledgement by both uh, Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade, that there had been a romantic relationship. And it was just a very salacious kind of icky hearing. And it was so far afield from the actual facts of the Trump case, very distracting and um, will just forever be a, a part of this case, no matter how it turns out. Tia? Well, to me, on the topic of imposterity, you know, this case, I think one of the things that now one of the most viral things Fonnie Willis said was I'm not the one on trial um at the end of the day we know that 
quite frankly, the defense lawyers are doing their job by trying to get the charges dismissed, get the case thrown out. And Fannie Willis gave them a huge opportunity by choosing to be romantically involved with one of her fellow attorneys. And so they want to make the case about her, which is, again, they're doing their job. But I think one of the comments she made that did seem very prosecutorial and lawyer lawyerly, if you will, well, she said, hey, let's let's remember what the stakes are here. At the end of the day, I am not the one facing charges. They're the ones accused of overturning or trying to overturn an election. Let's keep our eyes on the main thing. And yes, again, and when I say I kind of almost um, am, am already waiting for people to tell me, you know, see, this is what's wrong. People saying it's great TV. You're just sensationalizing the coverage. And I don't mean it to, you know, downplay the importance of what happened by also noting that it did make for very riveting TV. Um, but I think the riveting TV is going to be a sideshow as we continue, whether it's in this case or others, to focus on the bigger issues at play um, as highlighted by the charges the former president faces. Uh, all right, before we break, Tia, as if all that we've discussed isn't enough, as we said before the break, uh, uh, the judge has now set a trial date, March 25th, in the hush money payments trial that uh, in, uh, in which Trump is accused of deceiving voters by paying hush money to Stormy Daniels um, at, at alleging the affair that the two of them, or at least the sexual relationship, the two of them. And then on top of it, today we expect that Judge Angoran, in a civil lawsuit, is going to issue a ruling as to whether Donald Trump will forfeit as much as $300 plus million for misleading lenders and um, um, not giving accurate uh information about his uh, the value of, of his holdings, um, that case could also uh, decide whether Trump is allowed to continue doing business in New York. So big day for Donald Trump. Right. And, and I mean, that's also kind of the context of what's going on in Fulton County. That's just one of the many legal challenges Trump faces, one venue, I'll say, um, he wasn't even in Atlanta. There were rumors he would come to Atlanta for the hearing yesterday. He couldn't because he was in New York City for a different court hearing on the same day. He's like double booked in court these days. And he's got, a, you know, whether he's found innocent or guilty, at the end of the day, it's unprecedented for someone with this type of at this level of politics to face so many legal challenges. Finish us up on this, Patricia. Well, for as much as it looks like it damages Donald Trump, when you talk to his supporters, when he's on the campaign trail, he's not running from the, these courtroom situations. He is pointing them out and saying, I am being persecuted, not prosecuted. We're all being persecuted. It's just to keep us out of the White House. I'm being, they're coming after me because they want to come after you. 
and that works with his supporters. Yeah, and there's something a little bit disingenuous about legal arguments in a couple of these cases where uh, Trump's lawyers have said, this prevents him from campaigning for president. Um, it's a violation of his First Amendment rights to be out there on the campaign trail. He's getting a lot of campaign This is his time. campaign, yep. <laughs> we got to take a break right now when we come back more on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Welcome back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Bill Nygut. Twice daily, delivered straight to your email, you can receive the AJC's Politically Georgia newsletter. Stay on top of all the important news, scoops, and exclusives from the AJC politics team. Just go to AJC.com newsletters and sign up today. That's AJC.com newsletters. We're going to uh, dip into our listener mailbag right now, but you know what? Actually, I'm going to pull up um, an email that literally just came in from a listener in real time who wanted to respond to our conversation, Tia and Patricia, about uh, whether Fonnie Willis, how she handled herself yesterday. This listener who said this, Fonnie Willis can take care of herself. I hear a lot about political fallout and perhaps those predictions might are true. However, as a longtime Atlanta resident and also now simply a resident of Bolton County, I am much more inclined to vote for her. Feeling this, if this was humiliating and sure she was stupid, but the strategy against she that was used against her seems like low life. Well, there you go, Patricia. Okay, there <laughs> you go. She's no longer able to vote in Fulton County, apparently. But <laughs> Well, voter, you hear from voters all the time. They're not perfect, but, you know, if somebody wants to support Fonnie Willis, they will. And um, it did feel very salacious and creepy yesterday yeah. and not something you'd want to see anybody really have to go through, yeah. even though she did open the door to it. Yeah. Well, thank you, listener, for emailing us in uh, real uh, time. Shaney B., we're going to dip into the mailbag, so give us a sounder. Oh, sounder, sounder. Uh, there. You know I can't do anything until I hear that sounder. Got to hear my jam, otherwise it's just not going to work. Shaney, today we're going to answer the question that came from Dwayne in Covington, who, once, like uh, the, the email I just read, sent us his question in an email form. You want to read it or do you want me to, Shay? I, I love it because, you know, the, the listener mailbag here on Politically Georgia, it can be a letter, it can be an email, voicemail. Uh, but let's go ahead. I'll, I'll read it to you here. And uh, Dwayne asked, what is the rationale for SB 355, a bill that would ban ranked choice voting in all elections in Georgia? Is it just political or is there a good reason or both? Tia? So, I, I hesitate. All right, please go ahead. I was going to, I mean, we wish we miss Greg for this one for sure. <laughs> but I would say that in general, ranked choice voting, people believe, would help create um, more moderated outcomes because you are able to make multiple choices. 
it just the way the math works, it makes it harder for an extremist on either side of the spectrum to win. Um, and that's why some people also it, you know, there's a, a money thing. It cuts down, you know, in Georgia, we have all these runoffs. You would eliminate that. So you would save a lot of money by not having to do multiple elections. I would say that's the case for ranked choice voting. Um, I would guess that the case against it is a, some people want those partisan, and I don't mean it in a bad way, but some people don't want you to just have, get to choose from everyone. They want you to have to, the parties get to make a nominee and then they like our current system where the person who ultimately wins, particularly our system in Georgia, where the person who ultimately wins has to get a majority of the vote, even if that takes multiple times going to the ballot. So you'll hear a lot of people saying they want to keep our current system in place. Patricia, um, I think Republicans don't want to change things because they like the way elections have turned out in Georgia in recent decades. Uh, yes, so far so good. Uh, the other argument against ranked choice voting is that it is very complicated. Yeah. It takes a long time to sort out the ultimate winner if the person doesn't get to 50%. And that leads to a lot of confusion and suspicion. And those are really the two things I feel like our electoral system cannot handle right now. You know, that's a really interesting point. If a Donald Trump um, and many of his MAGA-loving Republicans believe that um, uh, the election results took too long to come back in 2020, ranked choice voting would really stretch out the process. It wouldn't get better. All right. It's time now, as we end for the week, to talk about who's up and who's down. Patricia Murphy, who's down? I hate to be obvious. Um, <laughs> I do feel like Fonnie Willis is down this week, not because she's going to lose her role in that case, but because um, it has really dragged her down from a perch of respect across the state, inside the Capitol. She had a lot of political capital that she could use for her own office. And that has really been damaged in this process by, because of her own decisions in her in her private life. Um, I, I, you may, it may be obvious, but certainly you make a, a very important point. Tia, who's down? I'm going to say who's down, and this is kind of a sentimental one. This is the week that we are seeing the final funerals for the three army reservists who were killed in that drone attack in Jordan. So we have Sergeants Kennedy Sanders uh, and Brianna Moffitt and Staff Sergeant William Jerome Rivers. Sanders is the third funeral, it'll be Saturday. And so we know that their loved ones and their communities are still mourning for them and um, sending our love to them. So that's going to be my who's down because it's still such a sad occasion. Tia, I'm stepping into your territory on Capitol Hill for my who's down. Representative Mike Turner, the chairman of the Intelligence Committee in the U.S. House. Patricia, you're a big Capitol Hill follower, worked up there. We know the Intelligence Committee is privy to some of the most carefully held secrets of the entire U.S. government. Turner decided on his own to reveal that Russia had a capability. He didn't do it in very specific terms, but he said essentially to the public, there's a threat from Russia, we've got to do something about it. Have you, can you ever think of a time 
when someone in the Intelligence Committee would jump out and do this without the National Security Advisor being involved. No, but I do remember when Nancy Pelosi held a press conference and at the end on the way out the door said, and by the way, the CIA lies to us all the time. Oh, oh, <laughs> she had been chair of Intel. Oh, 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 God. So, <laughs> okay, fair enough. All right, Patricia, the ball's in your court. Who's up? So I did feel like Nathan Wade comported himself very well after being after being the the subject of so many rumors and so much innuendo and accusations that he was unqualified. I felt like he handled himself very well, and you could see why you would want to hire him in a, in a high-stakes case like this. Interesting. Tia, who's up? My who's up is freelance photographer Alyssa Pointer, who was pulling for the Associated Press during the hearing yesterday. And so you could spot her on the TV cameras. <laughs> and she was working so hard, getting the angles. She had the cutest Afro puffs, the very <laughs> black girl magic. And every time I saw her on the camera, I was like, go, Alyssa. <laughs> All right. I love that one. I'm my who's up this week. Come on. It's Caitlin Clark, the star basketball player for University of Iowa. Last night, she scored 49 points. We've all been waiting wow. to see her break the all-time scoring record in the NCAA women's uh, division. Uh, now having scored uh, far more points, and she's still only three years in to her career. So I always like to think about and call out women in sports because for the most part, they just don't get as much attention as they deserve. That's all the time we have for today's podcast. You can now hear Politically Georgia live weekday mornings at 10 on 90.1 WABE in Atlanta. Or of course, you can continue to follow Politically Georgia on your favorite podcast app, You'll hear new episodes every afternoon. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review and share Politically Georgia with a friend. Join us again on Monday for Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Constitution.